we're in our four, fourth week of our emphasis on the importance of Sundays as a day of Sabbath. Uh, and we're talking about Sundays can. And uh, I think it's called a day to rest, a day to refocus, regroup, refuel for the coming week as we worship God on the day that Christ rose from the dead. So we talked about the different things that Sundays can do and can bring into our life. First week we talked about the fact that Sundays can surprise you. And we had a box of Cracker Jacks for you with a little surprise inside. Second week uh, we talked about Sundays can make better Mondays. And we gave you a gift card for an ice cream Sunday at uh, Sonic. Uh, the third week we talked about the fact that Sundays can change your family. We talked about the significance of the church and families partnering together to teach the truth of Christ and to teach the truth of the Bible and to make sure that that truth continues. And we gave you something to help family time, popcorn and a Red Box movie pass. So we've tried to encourage you about Sundays to see the significance of Sunday and how it can impact and relate to you in your life. So today we're talking about Sundays can save your life. And uh, so your treat for today will be uh, a roll of lifesavers. Okay, you can get those as you leave. I'm just doing a little bit of research about the story of lifesavers. You know, when I came along, I just assumed, you know, they'd always been around. But the story of lifesavers is they really began in 1912, uh, that a man had a vision for some candy that would, uh, could take the heat and humidity of the summer and not melt like chocolate. So he came up with this idea. Peppermint flavor was what uh, was the original one. And then 1913, a man by the name of Edward Noble founded the Lifesavers Candy Company and began using uh, that little tin foil pack probably that we all are familiar with. Uh, and then in 1935, the... Uh, for original three flavors, lemon, lime, and orange, were joined by two others, cherry and pineapple, to make what's called up there that Fab Five. And that's the, the same five flavors that you'll get in a, a roll of Lifesavers today. 1938, butter rum, Lifesavers joined that lineup. Uh, in the war, Second World War, uh, 23 million boxes of Lifesavers were sent to our military personnel overseas just to remind them of home and give them a little treat, okay? Then in 1950, it was advertised that um, for children especially on a tight budget, Lifesavers was the thing because it's still only a nickel, five cents. I don't know anything you can buy today for five cents, right? That was a deal. Then 1992, Lifesavers went gummy. And Lifesavers were produced in uh, three flavors, grape, mixed berry, and five flavor. Then 1994, new packaging, it came in a bag. 1995, another little twist to it, sugar-free Lifesavers. And then in 2012, Lifesavers celebrated its 100th anniversary. Well, uh, we have seen and witnessed some things this week during this uh, devastation with this flood of some miraculous uh, things taking place uh, people being rescued, people being saved. And uh, we've got a, I read the story but didn't see the video until late. But I think we're going to be able to give us a glimpse of this. Uh, this was a dramatic rescue of the woman and her grandson uh, on, uh, on a, I think, on Sunday morning. And where the cross plays a prominent part in that, okay? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. The rains descended and the floods came. 
So goes the familiar biblical passage. And this is about one of those days. There was no church here at the Vision Miracle Worship Center on Sunday morning, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a whole lot of praying going on. And I went down in the water and I said, Dear Lord, are you taking me home right now? Or did you come to get me right now? And immediately I flipped over to my back and it was like he said, No, not right now. Clara Garrett was on her way home to Irmo from her daughter's home in Blythewood for Sunday services at her home church, Three Rivers Baptist. I got up here to Lake Elizabeth, just a couple miles down the road here, and hit water, and it was dark, and I didn't really, I mean, I knew there was water out there, but I didn't know that it was going to stall me, and it did. And then... Um, I called 911 and couldn't get through, couldn't get anybody. So I called uh, my son-in-law and he said they would be right there. And by the time they got there, and they were on the phone with me the whole time, but my car shifted and went backwards down into a field. So there was a little church right there and there was uh, Where my car stopped was right behind, beside a huge red cross. And I was literally, uh, after I got out of the car, holding onto the cross. I was clinging to the cross, literally. Travis Catchings wife. This week and saving someone's life, that she and her grandson clung to that cross for five hours before they were rescued. Literally, she said, clinging to that cross. Well, also, as Mary Joy reminded us in her skit this morning, is that Jesus Christ is the ultimate lifesaver. And so that's what we're talking about today, how Sundays can save your life. So behind that question is then, uh, why do we have to talk about Sunday saving our life? And that's because of the issue of eternity. We all live for eternity. We live in this world for a short period of time, then death comes, and then we live for eternity. And the question for us is, where will you spend eternity? Will you spend it in heaven or will you spend it in hell? And then the other question behind that is, then why is there an issue about two eternal destinies? And the answer to that is because of sin, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, And the only lifesaver that saves us from our sin and our lostness uh, is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So then another question then is, is, so where does the church fit in? What role does the church play in salvation? Uh, We've seen many churches active this week uh, coming to the aid of many different people. We've also seen other agencies uh, at work who are not Christian-based helping other people. And probably some of the other people who were involved in helping their neighbors and friends weren't believers at all. But the church is 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 the body of Christ, and we are called to do some things together. And to understand this whole issue about the church and why we need the church and how it can save our life is to understand uh, the sin problem and the existence of the church. I want you to look with me at the scripture today out of Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, uh, where, where it involves the great confession of who Christ is and then his words that Jesus says about the church. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. 
But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now there Jesus is talking about the establishment of the church, building it upon himself who is a solid rock. And he talks about some of our roles and responsibilities, that we're to proclaim that kingdom. That he gives us the keys to the kingdom, and then uh, we're to talk about things to be bound in heaven and loosed on earth. He's talking about the message that the church has to proclaim. And all of that is related to the fact that there's an issue that God has to address and the role that the church plays in that, and that is that issue of the sin problem. So this is a twofold reminder to us today as to how Sundays can save your life. It's because of the proclamation of the church. And I want us to look just simply at two points. Number one is God's response to our sin problem. You see, for the past several weeks we've been talking about getting our lives back in touch with God and the rhythm that he intended for us through resting, refueling, refocusing, and doing that by participating in the life of the church. But we haven't talked about the whole church experience and where it fits in with really God's plan for the world. So we asked the question, why does the church exist and how did it come into existence? And to hear that story, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis when time began, when God began creation. And there we understand that not only did he institute the family, but he also had a dream and an idea and a vision and a plan for the church. And the church was God's idea, and it still is. And I think the theory is that that when you come to understand why God loves the church so much, then you'll not only love the church more, but you'll love God more. And God wanted there to be a church because God loves you. So when we go back to Genesis 1 and start looking at our story, what do we find? Well, we find that God created everything that there is out of nothing. And that after he created everything, he said, it's good. And then he created man, Adam, and put him in the world because he wanted fellowship with him. Then he saw that Adam was lonely without a companion, and he created Eve. And Adam said, whoa, man, because he was attracted to Eve. And he said, this is a bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now, you think about that. They had paradise to live in. Everything that they could possibly need, God provided for them in a perfect environment. With one stipulation, do not eat of the fruit of this tree, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And because they were there with a perfect relationship with each other, they also had a perfect relationship with God. And the Bible tells us that God would come into the garden in the cool of the evening and walk with them. Can you imagine that fellowship and how that is? To have been able to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the evening? Wow. But then came that human element into our story. That they still had the freedom to choose, and they chose. They chose to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was an act of willful disobedience. And by their act of disobedience, they fractured that relationship with God, and they fractured that family relationship with God. And when God came for that first afternoon after they sinned and looked for him, the Bible tells us that when he wanted to walk with them in the garden, that they hid because they were afraid because of what they had done. And the reason for all of that is because they had sinned. 
And that means that we inherit all that from Adam and Eve. From Adam came that first sin, and we inherited that. And Adam's sin, we fall all, you know. And so we are not sinless anymore. We don't live in a perfect environment, but we're imperfect. You can have a, a major test with 1,000 questions on it, miss one, you get 999 right. That's pretty good, but it's still not perfect, and none of us are perfect in life. But in the midst of all of that story of rebellion and breaking God's plan and disobeying God, God promised a Savior. He promised a method for dealing with that problem of sin. We find that in Genesis 3. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now there is the first promise of a Savior. That Satan will be in the form of that serpent who will crawl on his belly through the dust of the earth. He will strike at Christ, and we know that as we read through the story in the Bible. But that Christ would ultimately crush his heel. Satan would ultimately be defeated. And you see, there is the beginning of God's plan for redemption and for dealing with our sin. I remind you again that all of us need that Savior because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the story of the beginning of the church. With the promise of the Savior who would come and who would crush the head of Satan. It's the story of the God who loved us so much that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see Genesis 1 sets the story. Genesis 3 gives us the fall. And then we move all the way through Genesis and we see that God begins his work on redeeming his people, his family. We go to the second book which is Exodus and we find a large number of God's people uh, in exile and in captivity in Egypt. And God is going to use this group of people to reintroduce his family to every nation of the world. And so he calls Moses to lead his people out. And that's been portrayed in some uh, nice movies. The Ten Commandments, most recently probably a Prince of Egypt. And it's a dramatic and powerful story. Had God used Moses to lead the people out, parting the Red Sea. And then they come to the mountain at Sinai. And there God introduces to them the law, the Ten Commandments. And the reason he did so is because he wanted his family to know how to live together as family. These are the things you don't do. These are the things that you do. And the first commandment was to learn, I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. And then we go on and we read all the way through the Old Testament and we see that God is at work in some strange ways sometimes. He lets his children be taken into captivity in Assyria, then Babylon, then Persia. And under the Persian king Cyrus, they're allowed to return to their homeland, but they were conquered by the Greeks. But in doing so, the Greeks gave them the Greek language, a universal language. And then they were conquered by the Romans, and the Romans brought to them a sense of peace and a widespread immaculate road system where they could travel and communicate. And it was so important for all of that to take place because then we come to the New Testament in Galatians and we read these words that says, When the set time came and was fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law that we might receive adoption as sonship. Now, that's not the story in Luke, not the story in Matthew, as we know it better. But that's the Christmas story. 
that God came, sent his son Jesus Christ in, in flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, born in the little place of Bethlehem in lowly means in a, in a, in a manger, in a stable. And through that virgin birth, God gave to us the ministry of Jesus Christ. And on earth, Jesus proved his divinity by healing the blind, the deaf, and lame, and walking on water, feeding thousands with mere table scraps, and teaching with unparalleled wisdom and authority. And then you look at what he says to them in our scripture for today, where he takes the disciples apart and questions them about what they think and know about his identity. And then he affirms the fact that, yes, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And he talks to them about his vision for the church and how he would build the church. And he says that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And then if you read down to verse 21 in that same passage of Matthew 16, we find that the scripture says that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, right after he announces the church and its role of proclaiming the kingdom of God, then Jesus tells them about how that would come about, and that is through his death, burial, and resurrection. And on the cross on that good Friday morning, when the breath left the body of Jesus, he said, it is finished. And what he meant by that is that everything necessary to redeem people back into a relationship with God and having that fractured relationship restored and the family of God beginning to heal and men and coming into relationship with God once again, all of that was complete in the salvation experience that we find through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how do we get restored to God? How do we come back in that relationship with him? By what God's son Jesus did for us. He came to earth. He lived the perfect life. None of us could do that. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Through God's grace, he gave to us not what we deserve, but what we needed. And the essence of that is found, in, I think, in the gospel in a nutshell in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God's response to our problem of sin was that he came in person through Jesus Christ to meet our sin need. And the only way he could do that was to have a sacrifice that would be worthy enough to pay the price of our sin debt. And that was for Jesus Christ to die on the cross, and he did. Now, the second part today, we're talking about how Sundays can save your life, is, the, is simply found in our second point. God's response to our sin problem is that he showed his love, sent Christ to die for us. Then secondly, then, we have to look at our response to God's love. You see, and it's our response to God's love that determines where we spend eternity. So you can either refuse the relationship with God offered through Jesus Christ, or you can accept it and embrace it. And you know by that you live for all eternity with Christ and God in heaven. And, and so where does the church fit in with this? Well, I, I like to think about the fact that the church is God's forever Family, And it's in this community of believers that he gathers his children. And the Bible says that this family is open to everyone who is willing to do two things. Now listen to this out of John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him and to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is how you respond positively to God's offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Two things you do. 
You believe and you receive. You believe. What do you believe? You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was virgin born. He came. He died a sacrificial death on the cross. Literally died, was placed in a tomb on the third day. Was brought back from death by the power of God. And we believe that. Romans 10, 9 through 10 reminds us of that. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Then the second thing you do is you receive. It means to receive Jesus is to invite him into your life and allow him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. See, while Romans 3.23 tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 6.23 tells us uh, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A gift is given freely, and it's meant to be accepted, to be received, and to be appreciated. Now, if you are part of God's family, if you've come to acknowledge Christ, you believe, and you receive, you're part of God's family. You enjoy that wonderful relationship. If you're not doing a whole lot... To enjoy that relationship, then you need to get back into that fellowship time. You need to be right, reminded of the importance of Sundays. Where you come in your fellowship with other believers, where you hear the Word of God, where you're challenged to live in your faith. And hopefully you find some, some nuggets that will help you in the week to develop your faith deeper and richer in that fellowship relationship with God. And know what it means to walk in fellowship with God. But now if you've never accepted God's offer of forgiveness of sin and restoration to the relationship with him, then you have to believe who Jesus Christ is and then you have to receive him. And the way that you receive him is that you simply ask him and invite him to come into your life. You allow him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. You know, there are many different plans or methods or, or strategies for getting you to believe that I could take you through. But I think one of the simplest, and I think it's honored by God, is just a simple prayer that you can pray. If you come to the point today, you realize, number one, if you were to die today, you would spend eternity in hell because you're not in a relationship with God. Then you realize that you've got sin in your life. And then you realize that I am not in a relationship with God. I don't know what it means to have fellowship with God. I want that in my life. I've never invited Christ to come into my life and be my Savior and forgive me. Then I think it's a simple prayer that goes something like this. And I'll ask you if you're ready to pray that. If you don't have that fellowship with God, but today you have decided, hey, I need that. And I'm ready to invite Christ into my life. I want us all to bow heads, close eyes, and just focus on God for this moment. And let him speak to us, okay? If you need to embrace Christ, if you're ready to accept him and receive him, then just simply pray what I pray behind me in your heart, okay? Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner. And I am in need of a Savior. I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins, to be the leader of my life, to live through me. And I will live for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer in all seriousness, then God has come into your life, and you are reborn. You're in relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven, and you want to do some things about it. You want to make that profession of faith public. You want to be baptized and identified with Him. You want to be a part of this fellowship of believers known as the body of Christ, the church. 
If you're a believer in Christ, then you need to enjoy your relationship with God. You need to be here more often in fellowship with one another. Enter into Bible study. Worship together. Lift your voice in song. Now, if you need to make any decision public today, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that in just a moment. But I want us to pray. Father, we thank you that here in this building called a church, and with these people who are the church, that you have come to us to redeem us, to save us, to save us from our sins through Jesus Christ, our, who is our Savior and our Lord. Father, I thank you for those who are part of this body and I thank you, Father, that you are here to minister to us with our needs for spiritual growth and encouragement. Father, I pray for others, perhaps those as one or two today who prayed that prayer to invite Christ into his or her life and to allow Christ to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life and that they're ready to make that decision. Father, I just ask that as your spirit moves in this place that we would be conscious of how your spirit moves and that here where we are in this building known as the church with people who are the church who've made that decision, that others will come to make that decision. And they will find out indeed that Sundays can save their life. And it's all possible through the blood of Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.